Hi, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, the king of co-op, Steve Kingsley, and his special guest are going to review a game for you and have a related discussion. And without further ado, here's Steve! Welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop. Steve, with a couple of guests, Peter. Hey, I'm on this end of it. Hey, what are you doing on this side? Ah, uh, you know, I'm uh, decided to come to Stephen Friends this week. <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad to have you. And you said Friends, we have another friend on the podcast as well, Terrence. Hello. It's been a while since I've been on one of these, but always a pleasure. Yeah, with that we get the three of us together to revisit Marvel Champions. We want to talk about this game because, well, it's been out for a while now, and we've had a lot more content, so we kind of want to talk about how our thoughts have evolved or changed since the initial core box came out. Yeah, and then at the end, we're going to talk about our thoughts on LCGs in general and how this one's evolved and how it compares to the evolution of all the LCGs. And we probably won't have any debates at all about Arkhamverse Lord of the Rings, I'm sure. Oh, oh no, here we go again. <laughs> Is that the Colin and Mike special episode that's coming in the future? I don't know, but both of them have like traded to the other side. Like I know Ar- like Colin really likes Arkham now and Mike really likes Lord of the Rings. So I don't know which way it would go. I mean, Mike's top game is still Lord of the Rings for sure. But anyway, they're not on. So we get to have our own opinions. But before we jump into that, uh, what have you guys been up to? How about you, Peter? Let's start with you. All right. So I just got done playing right before we started recording a game of Dead Zone with my son, Nicholas. So I don't know if you guys know this one. It's a miniatures game made by Mantic. And if you've ever heard of the game Necromunda by Games Workshop, it's kind of like that. It's a very simple skirmish game, uh, but even simpler than something like Necromunda because there's no measuring. It's almost a board game in that way. There are little hexes, or they're not even hexes, they're squares. And you can move, you know, your move is one or two or three or four or whatever, and you just move that many squares. So uh, it's a very simple quick but very tactical miniatures game yeah i haven't played this it sounds pretty cool though i do like tactical miniature games but i've only really experienced well x-wing and i've been around watching friends play other tactical games like legion and others but my I myself i've not played them so well and there is a solo campaign that's actually free right now so if you have any miniatures at all in your house you could actually probably proxy this game up and the rules are free and the Solo campaign is free if you go to Mantic's website. Now, they do have you like check out and give them your email address and stuff, and then they'll email you the PDFs. But both the core rules and the uh, the solo campaign rules are free, available right now. So that's what I did. I downloaded them, and, uh, you know, we've been playing at home. And I-, I would say that, you know, there's a core box for the game. The one thing that's awful about the game, and this is just Mantic in general, I think, and this is kind of one of the things they're known for. First of all, the miniatures are awful to put together. They're just horrendous. And then the other part of it is they're not nearly as good as something like Games Workshop. They're definitely a much cheaper quality. And just so the miniature part of it is kind of a hassle, but the game itself is amazing. Is this the same Mantic that makes Hellboy? Yes, and they did uh, Mars Attacks as well, I believe. Mars Attacks is actually, I think, based on this system. I think there's even crossover where you can do Mars Attacks versus other factions for Dead Zone. Oh, neat. I have to ask a very important question, though. 
did you play as your character in the game? <laughs> and for those listeners who might not be aware, uh, happy belated birthday to Peter. And I guess one of the things that he got was a painted mini from his son. Yeah, no. So my son was playing with me on his side, and I killed myself pretty quickly in this game. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I was the dwarves playing against. Uh, so they have space dwarves in this. They're called Forge Fathers playing against the enforcers and uh, my character is enforcer. So he used him as his captain and uh, yeah, captain gooses didn't do too well. <laughs> was, was that by design from your son? I mean, maybe he's trying to tell me something. Hey dad, I should be playing video games right now. I'm going to just <laughs> throw you out in the middle. This is what I think of you. <laughs> That's awesome though. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. So Terrence, what have you been up to? I've been playing Marvel champions. Uh, which I guess is appropriate for this pod. Uh, the new Black Widow pack came out, so I've been kind of digging into that. Got opportunity to play with uh, Colin and built him a deck uh, and played that with him. So it's been a lot of just exploring the new cards and the new hero. Yeah, I'm sure we'll dive into that a lot more, but that's one of the reasons why you're on this pod, because you'll have a lot of expertise on that. Yeah, no, I uh, I definitely have a lot to say, but I'm going to save it because we're going forward. Moving on. For myself, I went and picked up a game I've played in the past, but I finally decided to pick up my own copy of it, uh, Waking Lair. It was a game that came out a couple years ago. And I picked it up because, well, I'm at home with my son during the day, and it's nice to sit down and play a game with him, and he's about five years old. And this game is probably about perfect for him right now because there's not much reading at all. He just has to understand his player power, and after that he can play it, so... If you're not familiar with this game, it's kind of a very light dungeon crawl where you're trying to go deeper in a dungeon, trying to stop a big bad boss from escaping, and a lot of dice chucking and collecting loot and stuff. It's very, very light. But it's been going well with him. I mean, every once in a while, that's what you want, right? Just throw some dice, get some stuff, rinse, repeat. Uh, that's all right. And especially yeah. if you can play with a five-year-old, that's great. Yeah, it's been fun. So we've been playing that a lot lately, and then it's going well. Cool. All right, well, I know we have some people to thank because we've had some very generous supporters over on Patreon. Yes, for this week, I'd like to thank Andrew, a co-op fan, Brad, also a co-op fan, and Rio Jesse, also, also a co-op fan. (laughs) So thanks again for what you guys do. It means a lot to us, especially in these trying times. I know not everyone can support us, and every little dollar really helps us. All right, well, let's get into Marvel Champions. So if this is your first time joining us, what we do is we do a top five list, starting with our number five, which is the least important thing about the game, moving up to number one, which is the most important thing. And I'm going to throw you guys a curveball right off the bat here. Uh, I'll let you two do your list first, starting with number five, and I'll go last. But I did not do my top five things I think about the game, because if you want to hear my thoughts on the game, I did them in episode 106. So I figured I'd surprise everybody at the same time here. And what I'm going to do is my top five ways I think you should play this game, or the top five ways I enjoy playing this game. And so we will do that. And But you guys start with your normal list first. You talk about the game, do your number fives, and then I'll do my number five way that I like to play Marvel Champions. Cool. Let's try it. So what is Marvel Champions LCG? So this is a living card game by Fantasy Flight Games. This is a game where you will be playing as a Marvel superhero and building a deck before you sit down to play against a villain. The villain will have various enemies popping out at you and will be trying to complete its evil scheme. And your job is to prevent the scheme from happening by 
defeating them by knocking them down to zero health. If you can do that before they get off their scheme or before they eliminate all the heroes, you win the game. Terrence, how about you? You want to start with your number five? Yeah, so kind of the number five that I had on my list was something I called like progression or narrative. And this probably even ties into like the modular sets. So uh, one of the things that I found uh, in this LCG was that uh, especially in the core box, a lot of the when you're progressing like through the game, uh, going from like stage one to stage two to stage three of the villain, depending on if you're playing normal expert, the villain doesn't change all that much. Oftentimes it's just like a stat value, though they've rectified that a little bit, especially with Ultron. Like there's a big difference between stage two and three. And then with Green Goblin, they definitely added the kind of encounter card hits uh, on stage or mutagen formula on stage two and three, like getting those three or four encounter cards. And I guess on stage two for risky business, you have that direct damage, but oftentimes it, it definitely doesn't feel like the kind of change you get from like the quest progression in Lord of the Rings, or uh, I guess like in Arkham where uh, you progress the agenda or Doom deck, there's just like a much bigger change in the tune of the game. So the game can kind of get a little bit of this like samey feel. And I think they use the modular encounter sets to some degree to introduce replayability and changing up the game kind of on your next playthrough. But I tend to enjoy the kind of curated more experience of the quests and other setups of the other LCGs. Um, And that's kind of my number five. So I'll start off with a con. Yeah, I definitely see the difference between the enemy levels. So what this is, is in the game, you start with one level on the boss and the boss called villain in this game. And when you defeat them, you move on to another another level. And generally, you have to beat them up twice, basically. And when you defeat the person, reset the health and do it again. And the stats do change, and some of the other abilities do change, but it's not significant. So that's a really good one. I, I do wish it was more significant, and I kind of... That ties into some other points I'll bring up later, but I agree with this. All right, Steve, so what's your number five? My number five is a con. And this one, I was hoping would get fixed and i think it will probably get better as the game goes on but i have to call out here and that's going to be the solo play uh this what people normally use as swinging as those solo swinging as and to clarify that a little bit i think the game plays fine solo for the most part with one exception and the way that is is how the schemes are handled the problem i run to is even if you completely clear a scheme in this game so it means there's a scheme without any progress on it uh, you can still have an unlucky pull and still find the villain completing a scheme in solo play. That's because the buffer, the target value the villain needs to reach to hit that and complete it, is scaled by player count. So in a, a single-player game, it's a pretty small buffer. In higher player counts, you have a lot bigger buffer, so those surprise schemes doesn't seem to have as much of an impact. Now, there are cards coming out in the game that can definitely help that in solo play. So if you're playing with that specific aspect or able to include that card in your deck in some other way, you can mitigate this and it's going to get better. But in solo, that's the one thing that kind of just bothers me a little bit when playing this. It's not a huge deal, hence why it's my number five, but it's something I want people to be aware of. And for me, if I'm playing solo, the one thing I think that would fix it, honestly, is pull out one of the two advanced cards in the deck. I feel like Having both of them in there, and this is the deck that basic. Uh, sorry, this is the card that causes those su- surprise schemes. If they still come out, it's fine, but you don't want them come out back to back, for example, because you're kind of screwed. But anyway, that's kind of my number five. The solo swingness is a con. Yeah, I think that's true of a lot of kind of 
card games with solo rules, both uh, in Lord of the Rings and Arkham as well, uh, that because you see such a limited slice too of the card pool versus multiplayer where the deck can combo with itself a little bit better, you do tend to get that swinginess where like a game where you get Shadows of the Past will uh, be a much different game than uh, a game where you might not see it, right? So I think that's just kind of the natural tune of a lot of solo card games. Yeah, I totally agree with this point. And especially if you pull something like, like you said, Shadows of the Past on turn one, um, I've definitely seen that. Now you get your nemesis out, you got harder cards put in the deck, and you've got a scheme that you got to deal with right off the bat. If you have four people to deal with it, it's a lot different than if you have to deal with it by yourself. And the other thing is every time you go through the deck, you add a accelerator, but it only accelerates one. It's not one per person. So I know you're going to go through the deck faster with more people than enemy deck, but it still doesn't seem to balance out quite right. And so I agree. There's definitely more of a time pressure with solo games and it's definitely swingier as well. Yeah. Uh, I guess my only kind of pushback to that is that I feel like the, the villain that is the most problematic with this is Rhino. Cause you only get the one scheme card at seven on the main scheme. Yep. Um, but the benefit at least for that is he schemes at one, uh, I think even up to stage three. So you get a little more headroom on that, even on a double advance. Uh, I guess you have potentially up to four on a three boost, but you do get a little bit more legroom. So I guess a double advance at four each can end the game, like Steve's saying, but that's pretty rare. And uh, I guess that's why you stay in hero mode, you know, and kind of <laughs> right. try, try to mitigate some of that stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's why confusing other things really help. Ultron's pretty rough too, because his first stage only has three. His second one, you can survive a little bit better, but he's popping drones and or getting more uh, advanced with each player's turn, I think, in stage two. And so I tend to go through that one pretty quickly, too. So I, I feel like even with Ultron, which is one I play a lot against because it's one of the harder ones, I feel like he get he can get swingy as well. The, the nice benefit of true solo against Ultron, though, is you get to play She-Hulk, and it's kind of cheeky that her... I object, uh, actually denies the extra drone or extra threat because you don't place a fort on the stage two main scheme. So you can basically mitigate that entire effect of that card, which is super awesome, which can't work <laughs> in any other multiplayer, in multiplayer, unless you have emergency or something. Yes, very true. My number five, again, I'm going to cover the ways I like to play the game. And my number five, I call sealed. And what I mean by that is just taking the heroes, the way they come out of the deck, and trying to beat the different challenges with that. So whenever I get a new hero, I always play them through that initial campaign that comes in the starter set, and I start from the beginning and I play all the way through that. And then I'll play Green Goblin 2, and then I'll play them against Wrecking Crew also. I try to play a new hero sealed, is what I call it, like right out of the box, against all that stuff, and just kind of try to get a feel for their power level, just using them straight out of the box. So... For me, it's fun to do that. Uh, I know a lot of people like deck building, and I do as well in this game. But I feel like it's fun to see what they gave you and almost handicap yourself a little because they're typically not going to be as good as what you can build and play it right out of the box against those, you know, just going through the campaign that way. So that's my number five way to play sealed. Do you only play an expert or do you play normal sealed? It'll depend. I'll usually start with expert. And then if I'm having a hard time, I'll go down to normal just so I can kind of 
progress. I don't want to get stuck for five games in a row doing it. So once I start getting three or four losses in a row on a certain way, I might go down or just skip to the next part of it. Because certain heroes, when you do them out of the box, are harder, obviously, against certain villains. I'll I'll kind of tailor it that way. I, I have to ask, how far did you get with Thor's pre-made deck concealed? I can't build a deck for Thor and win. I mean, we've talked about Thor before. I think Thor is complete hot garbage. We'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think Thor would probably be great multiplayer, but solo, he is garbage. I don't know if I've played sealed like you described it. Normally when I get a pack, I'm like, ooh, deck building opportunities. Let me uh, grab this card and that card and let's put this together. This seems cool. Let's put this in there. And then I'm off running some weird machination. Well, I typically, you know, it's funny. So I had broken everything down and broken all my decks down and did a lot of deck building. But then I started playing with my kids and I'm like, you know what? I just want to have pre-made decks for whenever I'm introducing someone to the game. And so I actually rebuilt all the decks the way they are in the in the box just because I wanted to have something ready. And if I want to break them down again and, and, you know, deck build, I can do that too. So I've actually been doing that more lately. I've kind of gone back to doing sealed partially because we've been during this pandemic and I haven't been able to get new stuff. Right. So to challenge myself more, I've almost gone backwards to get to this. I I almost uh, did constructed decks for a while. And then I kind of found one set of cards that I liked and I would actually take that and add it to the different heroes so I had a, a kind of a standard leadership deck that I kind of added to different heroes and saw how it worked with them. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just kind of playing the same deck over and over. So let me go back to sealed. And I did that. Okay, Terrence, want to move on to your number four? Yeah. So I guess going on to your solo theme, my number four is a pro. And that's the setup and teardown for me, especially compared to the L- other LCGs that I've, I own. At least so far, like setup and teardown for any villain that I'm playing is pretty quick. And so I think on average, except for probably like mutagen formula or maybe even wrecking crew, uh, I can probably knock out a game in under an hour and probably even closer to four or five minutes on expert, like kind of the built-in encounter set uh, or modular set with like the default one with that villain, which makes it pretty easy to kind of knock games out. And I guess as a stat, like I, as of this recording, I have 113 plays of Marvel champions and so I've, I've gotten a lot of playtime and kind of th- that goes along with it is that uh, I actually think uh, I'll disagree a little bit with Peter here, but I, I think every hero that has come out uh, is fairly viable in solo. You may have to pair like certain aspects. I think for almost all the heroes, uh, I've done like the sealed thing like Steven or like Peter has said on expert and have one going through basically through every scenario. So uh, I know every hero is viable, which has been pretty cool. Wow, you did beat expert with thor yep uh thor justice oh okay well but but so not right out of the deck is that the way you no not right out of the deck like i i don't do sealed in that sense like i i have not played any of the pre-constructed decks actually uh ever built them all but i do think like i don't know i don't think every sealed deck is viable but i think every hero is viable in solo like i think the fact that you have like the 15 signature heart cards like you some heroes are for sure better at certain things than others, but you do get a little bit of like thwarting what you need and like your signature kind of damage cards, right? And so that kind of helps mitigate and then you can kind of fill in the aspects that kind of uh, where you're kind of weakest in, I guess. Yeah, no, Justice is good for Thor because he has no way to deal with threat otherwise. I mean, he does, but it <laughs> involves him taking on a lot more enemies, which isn't always great. Right. All right, Steve, what's your number four? 
Number four is a pro, and I'm going to call this the card economy. So more specific what I'm talking about is there's basically three levels of cards in the game. There's your hero-specific cards. Uh, that's the 15 cards I have to go with whatever hero you decide to play as. Then you have an aspect to pick from, and there's four aspects to choose, and you can only pick cards from that aspect and not the other three. And then you have generic cards. And so these are the three levels I'm referring to when we talk about the card economy. And so what I like about this is they all have similar effects in them, but the distinction makes it really interesting when trying to build your own deck. And so the hero-specific cards are very powerful and stand out during gameplay. These are your, your big hitters, basically. And the aspect cards, they're good, but they're and sometimes they're powerful, but they're usually more costly than what you'd find in a hero deck. And the following generic cards, they're the most expensive and they have lesser effects compared to the other levels. And so I really like this decision space when you're trying to construct a deck where, where do I want to fo focus my efforts? And like this ties into exactly what Terrence mentioned earlier, where like Thor is good at these, as these certain aspects, but maybe not with managing the, the threat, the scheme. And so justice is a good way to fill that void, for example. And then maybe I know justice doesn't have a lot of access to healing when I have healing the deck. And so maybe I go into the generic pool to pull some healing cards from that. So basically there are avenues to get the features you want into a deck, but depending on what level you find them in, it's going to cost you more and more. So it makes that really interesting decision when trying to build your own deck. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Probably one of the only exceptions is like She-Hulk's Stomp versus like Squirrel Girl. Like Squirrel Girl is just better and it costs the Squirrel same, Girl right? Squirrel Girl is awesome. She's, my, she's <laughs> one of my favorite cards. Yeah, so I, I feel like that card is like probably overcosted. Like two to basically do the same effect as Squirrel Girl's Enter Play and you get an ally. Seems kind of weird, but... Uh, generally yes uh i i think there's you know some mistakes there but yeah i mean i think that's a great point steve and I, I think it also just makes the deck building a lot more accessible and fun because uh you, you are generally restricted to the one aspect minus i guess spider woman potentially coming out in the future well yeah the stuff's coming in the future definitely they said is going to be multi-aspect we we're not in that world today yet but i i do think like it, it makes deck building still interesting like you have enough flexibility to definitely like build really interesting decks uh, even in the current card pool but you you kind of have at least like a good solid core i think that kind of going back to i think like mike and peter's original episode 106 that talked about this like that makes every hero unique and i think that also makes it super fun to kind of build decks around these heroes and make them feel different as you kind of combine the different aspects as well. Yeah, and as I was saying earlier, I had gotten to a point where I had a leadership uh, kind of add-on that I used to add to all my different heroes to just kind of see how they play differently, and they do play differently. I mean, that's the interesting part about it, that that 15-card, you know, which is almost half your deck, specific hero part of it is it really does make them feel unique, even if all the rest of the cards in your deck are the same. And that's part of the reason I was playing around with that. I wanted to see how different they really did feel. And, uh, you know, each hero feels, you know, they've got their own shtick that they like to do. And so I think that's cool where you can just build a deck of cards that you like, a, a you know, a pod, if you will, whatever you want to call it, and add it to, you know, each hero and see how it plays differently. So... I like that aspect of the game a lot. All right, so my number four way I like to play the game is with gamers. And I know this seems really low, uh, <laughs> but, you know, this is a personal thing. Uh, I have played it, you know, several times with gamers. And, you know, you can do some really cool 
combos. You can do some really powerful stuff. Now, I haven't played it with you guys, and I think it might move up a little bit on my list had I played it with people who were really into the game. I played it with a lot of gamers who were new to it, and a lot of them enjoyed it. But I think it would be even a better experience for me if I had people who were as into it as I was and had played it as many times as I have. I don't think I'm up to 115 yet, but I might be close. I mean, I play this quite a bit and we'll get to that later on why. But this is a game that keeps coming out for me. Uh, Even, you know, some of these games we review and they kind of go away for a long time. This, first of all, because the LCG aspect where you're getting new stuff pretty consistently but also because it's pretty quick to get to the table, as Terrence had said earlier. So my number four is I like playing it with gamers, uh, but I think it would move up even higher had I played it with people who have played it as much as me. And that way it's not as much teaching as we're going, but more just getting in and, and diving deep and playing it. Yeah, I agree with you, Peter, on this. It's definitely a better experience playing with gamers. And it has a lot to do with kind of expectations on how the game's going to play. And I'm not going to get into too much right now because I'm going to talk about it pretty soon in my list. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that, both of what you said. I mean, this is true of, I think, every LCG as well. Is like One of the things that's super eye-opening is the ability to play with other people who are into the game, who own the game and own the cards and are deck building. Uh, one of the best things I think about LCGs as a whole is that community around it and how there can be a community because you learn so much about how people think and and just different ideas about deck building. Like Steve always brings a very interesting perspective to constructing decks uh, from my experience with Lord of the Rings and Marvel is no different there. And, and just being able to like feed off of other people's ideas. Like when you play with other gamers, they'll bring a totally fresher new set of combos or uh, like a, you know, use a hero or set of cards that you've never thought of. And uh, that when I remember the first time I did that for Lord of the Rings, that was such an eye-opening and expanding kind of, leveling up my way of playing Lord of the Rings. I just did not even think about cards the same way like a lot of people, other people have. Uh, That's really cool. All right, Terrence, what's your number three? So my number three, I called uh, kind of the release model. And so this touches a little bit on kind of what you and Mike talked about a little bit with like the core set, how it was the first one that had a full playable set, I guess, at least for even a single player, forget four players. Uh, you know, all the other LCGs require you to buy two or in Lord of the Rings case, three core sets to just get one full play set of cards for a single player. So that was really transformative uh, in this one. Even beyond that, I, I think the hero and story packs, and I guess the expansion, which we don't have, so that's kind of TBD, uh, the campaign expansion, but I, I found the kind of pre-constructed decks, um, like it's interesting to hear how you do the sealed stuff, Peter, which means that to some degree, like it's fairly successful that the deck they've built is at least playable, like it's not complete trash. Um, and that, uh, I guess maybe except Thor for you. <laughs> I was able to, I played with someone who actually brought Thor pre-constructed to a multiplayer game. And like uh, you were hinting at, it actually did fairly well. Like we did Mutagen Formula and we were able to beat a non-expert. And uh, I think at one point he like, nuked seven goblins like in in a single turn which was super cool yeah thor can do what he does really well his big problem is he can't really deal with threat very well but when it comes to to killing stuff i mean there's almost no hero i'd rather have so if you could if you pair him with somebody who does a lot of dealing with threat like iron man for example I mean, I think that would be a great team, almost unbeatable. Yeah, uh, that's not true. I, I brought a Justice deck. Uh, I brought uh, Black Widow Justice to that game. Yeah, it was super fun. But yeah, I mean, the release model has been interesting. Like, it, it's definitely like a new 
kind of area for FG, especially for LCGs. Like uh, traditionally, we had these cycles where they pair the kind of story with player cards. It's been interesting to see them kind of separate the two. And I, I think the one big benefit is that there's actually been, compared to every other LCG, like an influx of player cards, which we haven't seen at like this speed into kind of a new game, right? So like we're at a point where there's been an influx in every aspect at this point, uh, which is why I think it's been a good point to revisit and talk about the card pool again. We have, you know, a hero pack for every aspect, four new heroes. But the downside has been that there hasn't been as many kind of villain packs as introduced. So like, they've kind of weighted it on the hero side. So a like kind of con is that uh, if you're in a deck construction and you're into playing new heroes, it's been great. But I think the downside has been we, we're still waiting until September, assuming all the dates go without a hitch before we get any more like scenarios or villains or even mods or encounters to kind of mix in. In some ways, like, I kind of miss the, the the cycles from previous where you do get that influx of like both uh, player content or, or like kind of player cards and like the like enemy villain encounter card kind of mix where you do have kind of that those new challenges each time. And um, so that's kind of a slight downside, but uh, it's been super great for deck building. Uh, and it's been interesting that they've been trying out this model and I think it's been fairly successful, but yeah, I mean, it's, well, I'd say so. That's they're going to it with Arkham, right? Well, I mean, we'll talk about this at the end. I don't want to ruin the design discussion or the discussion too much, but I mean, they're going to character packs with Marvel or with uh, Arkham now too. So I, I think it probably has been successful for them. Yeah, I also really like the hero packs too because, like earlier, I like tinkering and like changing decks and having new concepts and just trying to see what happens. But I think the replayability of the game really shines when you have a lot of different scenarios or things to throw at. And so we don't have a lot of villains in that regard, but the nice thing going for it is each of those villains is modular. something that Terrence mentioned earlier in the podcast where you can mix and match all these modular sets into the villain deck, and it really changes how they play, how it feels. And so that adds a lot more replayability, despite not having a lot of villains on, on the offset. Yeah, I think the last villain scenario we got was February, I want to say. Is that when Wrecking Crew? March? Somewhere around there when Wrecking Crew came out, so... The next one we're getting is September, so it's still like a pretty substantial golf, even with the modularity. Well, right. but I don't think that would... I mean, that's all COVID-related. Like, I mean, everything was three months back. You know, if it had come, like, this month, I think July was when it was originally supposed to come out, I think we'd be singing a different tune if we had, you know, that villain pack, that campaign pack coming out next month. All right, Steve, what's your number three? Okay, my number three is a con, and that's going to be the length of play, and... This kind of ties into what I mentioned earlier with Peter's comments about playing with gamers, and that is simply the game tends to overstay its welcome. And I've noticed this a lot when I'm playing with people who aren't familiar with the game, and this specifically happens when you're playing the game, they can play fine mechanics and everything, and they get to the point where, okay, we're going to defeat the first level of the boss, and he gets a zero health, and like, hey, we win! And I'm like, wait, hold on a second. Now we reset his health, and he's at level two. I'm like, And like, oh, yeah. Right. Um, okay, I guess we'll go again. And it's fine. It's not a huge problem, but it tends to not meet expectations. And this is what I was leaning towards earlier with, especially with non-gamers. With gamers, it's fine. Especially if you described it earlier, as long as people don't forget that that's going to happen, it's it's okay. It's not a, not a huge deal. But on top of that, it does tend to take a long time to play through these, especially higher player counts. And solo, you can get through it fine, in an hour, an hour and a half time frame, is it's feasible depending on how fast you play. 
but when you play with higher player counts, going through multiple levels like that does take a while. And it's something I've talked about a lot, a lot with my wife, where it would go a lot better in her mind, in her experience, if you just added the, the health values together on the two sides you're fighting and made it into that one health dial. And then you just, when you cross that threshold, you still flip to the other side. It's a weird thing to talk about because it doesn't change really how mechanically how the game plays, but it's more of your expectation. So it's that expectation mixed in with kind of how long this game can drag with higher player counts is what I'm going to list as my number three, a con. Yeah, I definitely see that, especially with higher player counts. I mean, I've mostly played this two player and I think that's probably a sweet spot. I think that's true for most of the LCGs. I think as you get into playing with experienced gamers, it can go much faster. And I don't think higher player count would be as much of a problem. But certainly the first time you're teaching somebody a game or somebody who hasn't played it a lot, I definitely don't think I'd go over two players because I do think length becomes an issue. But you can play pretty simultaneously as you get higher player counts there are certain things you can't do but you're allowed to do actions on other people's turns and i don't see why anybody would ever say no you can't do that on my turn i mean they say to ask (laughs) the current player but why would anybody ever say that so you can get pretty prepped up for your turn even during other people's turns you mean you can't attack with your character and there are certain things you can't do but you can do a lot of the actions when it's not your turn like especially the card drawing actions i think that's important to do you know leading up to your turn for sure I guess the other silver lining here is what I would recommend is if you're playing with like people who aren't familiar with the game, you can totally play the game with just, hey, let's beat this one level of this boss, and that's that's the game. And I find that works pretty well. And then with more experienced gamers who are fine with the increased length and fine with that, that uh, flipping over the villain side, then playing the normal way works great. Yeah, I guess I don't have too much to add to that. Um, I definitely felt the duration of it. And I think a lot of it comes down to while the games feel like you got to build your board state and then and then you kind of outpace the villain. And then it, at that point where you've beaten stayed like the first stage of whether you're doing normal expert, like you're ready set up. So like the next stage is not nearly as interesting as kind of that first stage you're playing because you're not probably struggling as much. And I think probably like mutagen formula is one of the exceptions, maybe a little bit to that because you get those foreign counter cards, uh, which is a big like kind of swing that kind of maybe resets you a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the fact it probably comes down to even like sameness to some degree. It's just like it doesn't feel like you're it's like a net new game on the second stage necessarily. And you're not probably struggling as much and you feel like you're just going through the motions. Yeah, that's exactly what it comes down to. And I think this might get better if we have villains that don't just have a stat change. I mean, not to say that that's happening now. There are other effects, like you said, the encounter cards on Mutagen. But I'm hoping we'll see more stuff like that, and this will become lesser, less of an issue. Well, I think Wrecking Crew is interesting, too. I don't think that one becomes sure. easier as it goes on. Right. Because you're getting the same one over and over, so you're getting the same negative effect over and over, too. So I think that one becomes more interesting especially if you're playing so that one they have a recommended difficulty swing also because i think that one only has an a and a b for each right like two character cards and they say first you play a and then you play b and then you can play a then b i've played that way and that was really tough um but fun all right well let's get on to my number three which is the third favorite way i like to play it is creating new difficulties in decks and exploring the game 
Um, and this mostly happens solo, but a lot of what you guys are talking about, the deck building, the deck construction. The other thing I like to do is what I just talked about with Wrecking Crew. I like making new difficulty levels uh, or exploring new difficulty levels. Maybe I'll add two health to somebody if I've beaten them pretty handily the last couple times. See how that plays with the difficulty a little bit. Um, I know the recommended like expert expert mode now is to deal yourself two cards at the end of every round. I haven't done that yet. I just can't imagine that being any way at all balanced like with a solo <laughs> game I, I can't imagine like you surviving at all with that so what i'll do is i'll just add more health to each hero or villain card or whatever else or like i said play around with those side schemes as well i'll add different ones of those in and see how that affects difficulty but that is a little bit of a con for me is the side schemes i wish like in the base set they told you like this is a one this is a two this is a three this is a four this is a five difficulty I wish they would have done that with the Green Goblin and Wrecking Crew ones. Uh, well, actually, Wrecking Crew doesn't even have them. So just the Green Goblin ones. I wish they told you how difficult those were supposed to be. You know, and that's that's always a problem of mine when games come out with content and don't exactly tell you how to use it. Because Green Goblin, they're like, yeah, and in one or two if you want. And like, see how it works. I'm like, all right. I mean, I do like playing around with that a little bit myself, but... I wish there was a little more direction, like two is harder, two is easier, or these are the hardest ones. These are the easiest ones. I just, I wish they had kept up with the letting you know where the difficulty was based on what you put in, but I do like experimenting with them and throwing different ones together and just kind of seeing how my decks fare against them. By side schemes, I think you mean modular encounter sets uh, for the listeners. Oh, is that what they're called? Sure. Yeah. I think you said that all through the previous episode too. <laughs> Uh, when talk about Marvel. So they actually did this in Lord of the Rings where they did the the difficulty levels, but then there was, I think, some ridicule in the community that, like, different people felt like, you know, they just rated it wrong. It's like, you said sure. this thing was a seven, but, like, this was way easier than this other thing that you rated a five, right? Uh, and so I think they kind of just backed out of that a little bit. Um, I mean, I don't have inside information there. And and also, like, it, it's probably very relative as well to, like, what hero you're bringing. So like if you don't have good minion management, then certain modern counter sets are going to be significantly harder versus significantly easier. Right. And so that might be part of that, right? Like if you, if you bring in like the tombstone one that kind of penalizes you for, uh, I think like flipping, like they have one where like you can't flip cause your hand, uh, cause of media exposure or something. Obviously like if you're iron or if you're like Spider-Man or Captain America who barely ever flips, like, you don't care, you know? Uh, so yeah, but if you're black widow, it makes a bigger yeah. difference. Yeah, exactly. So it's probably harder, especially as the card pool grows to kind of rate those beyond kind of the core set where it's pretty well defined, which is maybe why they've gotten away from it. Sure. I, I mean, but even number of symbols and that's the, what I do is I'll count the number of symbols on the bottom of the card. So when they're pulled for their, you know, not for their actual effect, but their symbol effect, that gives me a pretty good idea of how tough the set's going to be. It's true. Because, you know, that is going to be constant. And, you know, half the time you're going to be pulling them out for those effects. So I think even if you rate it on that scale, just if they had it somewhere, I think it would have been nice. But, I mean, that's a personal thing. Have you tried the variant? I think I saw this on BGG where someone basically goes through, like, for a villain, you pick, like, basically an attachment from their deck and put it in play as a permanent where you can't get rid of it. So like, maybe it's like enhance ivory horn uh, or something for Rhino or his armored. Uh, I forget what that card is, but like something where like 
they start out and play with it. And so like you, you get that kind of unique signature feeling for that villain. And I think that's a little better than just padding health. Cause it's not just like extending the game for extending the game's sake. And, sure. and it adds like kind of a more gameplay twist to it. I haven't done that. No, no, I've just, I've just messed with, like I said, the different sets with each villain and, and messing around with their health and stuff, because I, I find they tend to get to their signature cards more and get to the stuff more when they, when the game lasts another couple rounds. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, Terrence, why don't we move on to your number two? Yeah, so my number two for this is I really enjoyed the kind of theme and hero design that comes in the cards, like probably one of the most thematic things. So I I was lucky that I got a demo of this at uh, Gen Con when it was first announced, and I got to play Spider-Man and kind of Spider-Sense, like being able to Spider-Sense when a villain attacks you, and then if you draw into like a backflip and then being able to use that card is just a super thematic kind of experience that you have they do a good job of like making the heroes feel very unique but also like a lot of these signature cards like feel great to play and and kind of oftentimes will match the theme pretty well like i also enjoyed even from the sense of like miss marvel's like need to like she gets a lot of support from her alter ego support characters so like you have to flip uh to your alter ego to kind of take advantage of this and that feels very thematic from like reading the comics of like how important her family and friends are to that uh, character. Black Widow, right, that I've been playing a bunch recently. Like, it's super cool that, like, you, you got to do these preparations kind of not in hero mode. And, like, when you get the safe house out, like, it, it's cool that, like, it feels like you're going to the safe house because you're, like, basically picking out, like, what preparations you're trying to pull back out from your discard pile, uh, which, you know, that you're then preparing to kind of tackle uh next turn with the villain and so i enjoy like how they've been able to capture some of these moments with just like uh into the the card design yeah i'm going to go ahead and jump into my number two because it's exactly the same (laughs) so (laughs) the the thematic representation of the heroes is really well done and i'm even happy that some cards that may not have been the best in other scenarios work out pretty well for example like playing Black Widow and using her the interrogation room in her deck. I I kind of want to just throw it in the deck just because it's thematically appropriate, but it still works well with her, which makes me very pleased. Captain America's shield bouncing off a bunch of enemies coming back to him and Thor landing a huge thunder strike blow to blast a bunch of enemies. They did an excellent job trying to represent what these heroes do and make him actually function to a degree in the game. Yeah, I mean, Mjolnir, like the I Am Worthy on Odin's son, being able to pull the hammer back. The fact that when you throw Cap Shield and you have to put it into your hand and play it again, same with the hammer throw, feels super great too. Yeah, no, you guys are uh, right on the money with that. I do think each hero feels different. And like I said earlier, even if you pair them with the same set of, you know, 25 other cards they feel different just from those 15 unique cards. So uh, I really like how they do that. And I really like how you can even design around, you design your deck around what that hero wants to do. I mean, the most obvious example is Black Widow. She wants a lot of preparation cards, but there are certainly heroes that I like to use like uh, Black Panther, where I try to get a lot of cards in play. So I don't have many cards in my deck. So those Wakanda Forever cards keep coming up over and over after I get through the deck the first time because most of my cards are now on the table. So I like how you can build decks around that and that way you can kind of get the cards you want more regularly um, or play around with it so that they, they're getting what they want to get, which feels unique for that specific hero. So that's definitely fun for me. 
So my number two way I like to play the game is with my kids. And again, this is a personal thing for myself, but I've really enjoyed not even playing with my kids sometimes. I will set it up solo for them and just kind of help them through, help them understand their hero. And that way we'll play again and they've got it. They know what they're doing and then we can play cooperatively together. Um, And I think it's really good for that. You know, the game, yes, it can run long with more people, but solo, the game runs really quickly. And so I really like being able to walk them through that. We'll sit down for 20 minutes. We'll play Rhino. They'll learn their hero and then we'll take on Rhino together. Then maybe I'll put them back to solo again and have them play against, you know, Claw. And then we'll play against Claw together. And it feels different each time for them, even though they're playing with the same hero because the cards come out in different orders and it just plays differently playing two player. You know, you can help each other out a lot more. Hey, you know, daddy's in trouble over here. Can you take care of some of my guys? I really just have been totally enjoyed the experience of playing this with my kids, something that they can play, that they can learn. And the fact that, again, I can walk them through it solo really makes it more accessible to play as a family after that, because it is a little bit hard to get into for younger people, I think, because there is a lot of reading and a lot of stuff on the cards. But at the same time, when I can walk them through it solo, it makes that experience a lot easier because there's no downtime for them as well. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I've had different experiences with this, but that's just because my son is only five. Well, yeah, <laughs> so... I mean, my kids are my kids are nine and 12. It's a little different. Exactly. But I still had a positive experience with my son playing this, which is kind of surprising. Now, my son, he can't read at, at this point, especially with these how much text is on these cards but he does understand spider-man like he loves the character spider-man and he'll draw through the deck and he'll see the picture of the spider tracer and he can't read the word spider tracer but he sees the picture says oh this is spider tracer and he knows like thematically this is going to attach to something and so even then he's able to kind of piece together what happens i'm helping a lot through this process Uh, but so that kind of works out okay and he has fun like hey dad needs some help how do you want to help him Oh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go punch that guy for you. My cool, and he does two damage, and he feels really excited when he does big moves. Of course. Now, what kind of backfired though is when he wanted to sit down and play the game. Like, what hero do you want? And he Spider-Man's one of his favorites. A big Spider-Man says, "What bad guy do you want?" And he looks through them, and he sees Ultron. He's like, "Oh, I want Ultron." And he sees there's three like levels to him. He's like, uh, "I want level three. I'm like, no, we don't start <laughs> level three. We start level one. And I'm gonna do one, but I want level three. I want the hardest one. Like. No, we're not going to survive. Let's, no, no. So my son has a bad tendency of going to like the hardest, biggest bad guy right out of the gate. But that's just his personality. I bet you could fudge it at level three so he wouldn't even know. Well, actually, we did fudge it when I was playing with him. Uh, my wife and myself, and we played with my son. We helped him a lot through this. And one way we did fudge it, which I don't recommend everyone play this way, but it worked for him, is we just ignored side schemes. Any side schemes that came out, we just discarded him and drew a different card. Because he had trouble understanding what that meant and how to manage it. Generally, the side schemes really like twist the game. Sure. And this let him focus on just the main scheme and any bad guys came out. And it helped him a lot. But yeah, I'm uh, excited to play this more when he gets older and can actually read the cards and get through it. And I, I'm excited to hear that it went well with you, Peter. So I'm looking forward to that. Cool. All right, Terrence, what's your number one? Uh, my number one is... I feel like a little cheaty just because it was hard to capture everything into five points. Uh, but... The last one is probably the decision space when you're playing the game. And so 
for me, this wraps up like the hand management puzzle, kind of the card play that you have, or even deciding like switching with alter ego, or just like, do I use my mansion? If I'm playing multiplayer, do I give it to you? Like, or someone else across the table, like, do you need my helicarrier? And just like all those decisions wrapped up makes like every turn an exciting puzzle that you have to figure out and where you're trying to, not only within your turn, like it's not just like, I'm just gonna do the best thing for like what I want. Like oftentimes, especially if you're playing on like the heroic difficulty levels, uh, like Colin has traditionally shamed me for basically only including one Avengers Mansion in my deck. And even <laughs> in like heroic now, like I don't even know if you can afford to spend the turn to like play a mansion just because every turn you have to be doing something fairly productive. Right. And so yes, like it pays off in the long term, but like you don't have a long term if you don't if you're not doing stuff every turn. And so uh, it's interesting in the sense that it's like not it's like the card that you need to play, but not the card you want to play kind of thing happens a lot of times I find on the higher difficulty levels. And so sure. it's, it's neat to kind of like deal with that puzzle and deal with the restrictions of like what is out there and like trying to work with everyone else. And so just a lot of really great decisions, like trying to make sure not everyone ends up like an alter ego on one turn, uh, et cetera. Right. And so like, there's just a lot of like really cool things to juggle during the course of every turn that I think just like captures what makes this game really exciting. Yeah, I think that was my number one was the card play. I mean, just the hand management, the card play, the decision space there is just is what makes this game what it is. Yeah, that's my number one as well. It's it is you're exactly right. It's a I've sat down and write this list. I wrote down number one card play and <laughs> moved on to the rest because that is the standout feature in this game. And even my uh, my wife, who's not really into living card games, but she really enjoys that even though it's very contrary to her personality she's a hoarder she wants to play all these cards that are also good and she hates in a good way she hates the decision of having to like what cards would i throw away to play these other cards and uh but luckily you do recycle your deck and draw through it so she'll i tell them don't worry you'll see them again it's fine to come up <laughs> so that helps it get through that but yeah the card play is excellent yeah and i'll quickly go over my number one because we've covered it a lot which is solo i mean this game, we talked about the length of it. That is not an issue in solo. It is, I can pull it out and play it in 20 minutes, 30 minutes, no problem uh, against most villains. And what I do a lot of times is I kind of challenge myself when I was going through earlier about, you know, messing with the difficulty levels. There's two villains I've kind of settled on. And it's weird because they're both somewhat similar. Ultron and Goblin 2 are kind of the two I always go back to because I feel like they're the right difficulty. I feel like some of the other villains are a little bit easier than I want them to be. Now, certainly I haven't done heroic difficulty. I've done advanced or whatever it's called, the the higher difficulty legendary quite a bit, but I haven't done the heroic difficulty, but I feel that's right where I want it to be. And for solo, it's so quick to pull out. We talked about this earlier. You know, you pull out a hero deck, you know, you pull out a villain, you side scheme or whatever they're called, and you throw them all together and you shuffle it up and you're playing. So, uh, I mean, solo is so fun, so quick. And so I don't know if I played a hundred times, but I'm probably close to it at this point, just with all <laughs> the experimenting and stuff you can do and how quickly it plays, you know, and I'll lose real quick and I'll shuffle it up and set it up and play it again. I totally agree with you, Steve. The difficulty swinginess is really weird. Like some games I'll have no problems with the deck. The next game, it'll be like super hard, you know, same villain, same setup, same everything. It's actually typically the opposite. It's really hard one game and then I'll play it again and I'll have no problem. So it really depends on how your cards come out, how the villain cards come out, but it plays so quickly solo 
they don't have a problem with that because I can just, you know, play it again, play it again, three, four, five times in a row, no problem. So um, that is definitely the number one way I play it is solo. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that. Like out of the 113 plays I have, I want to say like 80 or 80 plus of them are solo, like true solo. So definitely up there with you, Peter. I think like one of my favorite villains is probably Claw because oddly he is the swingiest. Like I think the double boost cards means he can attack for like one or seven. Yep. (laughs) Depending on what comes up. And so that like keeps it really interesting. And then he just has like an assortment of like really just like different like encounter cards. Like he can either stun you or, you know, like attack again or do damage or heal. And, and it's just like, you never really know what to expect with him. And then also with the amount you're kind of actually burning through that deck, he's one of the few villains in solo that you may get an acceleration token, which is, I think like not true for a lot of the other villains when I play solo. Sure. Like, you rarely see it. Yeah. And I, it's funny because my two are very similar because they both got a bunch of drones and a bunch of stuff on the board. And maybe it's just the way I like to play. I just feel like I'm accomplishing stuff when I'm taking that out. Whereas, you know, when I'm taking thread off a scheme, I feel like I'm standing still, even though it's the same when you're killing minions, you know, like standing still, you're just getting back to a neutral state. But for me, it feels like I'm doing something because I'm killing stuff. I'm not just taking tokens off. So for me, I think that's why I think I like a lot of villains coming out, a lot of bad guys, a lot of minions, you know, because that's what I like. You know, I, I like that to be where the challenge is. So for me, that's why I think I go back to those two pretty consistently. So you like to smash things is what you're saying. Yeah, That's... absolutely. I mean, and it's so much fun. I, I don't know. We're good. I guess we'll get into favorite heroes here. I love doing Iron Man and taking out all those little Ultron drones and taking out all the little minions that Goblin throws at you. Black Panther is definitely one of my favorites as well. Yeah, Black Widow's out now too, and she's just so good. And she's so different than any other character. So she's quickly become one of my favorites too. So probably those three. If I had to, you know, pick three, probably Iron Man first, you know, then Black Panther, then Black Widow. What's your favorite aspect then? It depends. I mean, I think leadership's really strong right now. Uh, I think just getting those Avengers cards, you know, the Avengers, whatever it is, Adventure Tower or whatever, where it makes all your allies cheaper to get out. And just their, their allies are just so powerful. Isn't Squirrel Girl leadership? Yep. She's leadership. Yep. Yeah, and you can just get so many more allies, and I feel like allies are such an advantage in the game, even though they go away pretty quickly. They soak up damage for you. They make it so you don't have to flip over nearly as often. I just feel like it's such an advantage to get a card on the table that stays on the table for a couple turns or soaks up a full round of damage for you. I don't know. For me, I feel like right now, leadership is really strong. Yeah, I mean, allies are stupid strong, just like... It doesn't even matter what side your identity's on. You can thwart or attack with any ally. It doesn't matter. You can play them on, yep. you know, like, uh, and then in, in leadership, they're also extra strong. Cause like now there's cards that like give them plus one hit points across the board. You can ready them. You can use them as a form of card draw with strength and numbers, right? Like you can yep. buff all them. You can buff them and ready them like in one go. Like it, you know, just, they're, they're definitely, it's definitely like one of the strongest archetypes for sure. Yeah, and Vision's really good. I think he's leadership. And uh, who's the other one? The strong guy that does like three damage attacks. That, that Wonder Man? Wonder Man. Wonder Man. You got to discard a card to use him. But yeah, I mean, just super powerful attacks. And, and now you have rapid response. Yeah, exactly. And well, yeah, and Vision, the nice part about Vision is 
like he can deal with threat too because you throw away a lightning bolt and now he's really good at scheming and really good at fighting what do you want to use him for so yeah i feel like leadership's really strong right now but i'm hoping i mean the one thing about leadership is it can deal with everything you know aggression is really good at doing damage justice is really good at preventing damage you know uh the green one i don't even remember what it's called but that's protection. really good at protection at healing yourself and defending yourself right but i feel like leadership can do it all so for me right now i, I feel like you know that's where i tend to go when i especially for solo i think if i was doing multiplayer i might you know try to sub specialize more but for solo i really feel like you kind of need the the do it all toolbox of leadership but if if you're doing multiplayer once you just like spam maria maria hell just like bring her back. So much card draw. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. I mean, one of my favorite characters is actually Lockjaw. I, I tried to put him in every deck. Unfortunately, I only have one of them. Um, <laughs> but I mean, Lockjaw is amazing because he is basically cost less than his printed cost because you're always playing him for your discard pile. There's no reason not to. So right. you use him as an energy and then you play him from your discard pile whenever you want, you know, for four. Yep, just teleporting back into play. <laughs> so seems seems thematic. So I totally agree uh, that leadership is probably the strongest, but I do find myself gravitating towards protection. That's probably just because of my support tendencies. I like playing a support character a lot. So, but I like being able to do weird stuff too. And I feel like in protection, I can do a little bit of that weirdness going on. Like I built a uh, a Kamala Khan deck where. I was able to only have the boss attack me twice the whole game because I kept him stunned in a solo game. Because with her, you can you know recur or bring back events played from your discard pile. And there's a a uh, I can't the name escapes me offhand, but a, a metamorphosis. That, not metamorphosis. No, uh, a protection event that lets you attack tackle? and stun. Yes, thank you. Tackle. It says you attack and stun uh, the boss, and so. I literally played it every turn, and I stayed in hero turn, hero form the entire turn. I just laid down some um, allies to help out in that in that state, and every once in a while I'd have a, a minion pop out to have the allies take care of that minion and just whittles them down, and it worked out pretty well actually. So I like doing weird stuff like that sometimes, and turning Captain Marvel into a a tank too with her. You can really beef, beef up her defense and give her whether built on healing. She can just um, take it all and then dish it back with a huge energy blast. So yeah, it's a really fun game to explore all these different concepts. Yeah. I'll be honest. Protection was my first love. Cause I, I love black Panther and black Panther protection is so much fun because mm-hmm. he just kills most things just by blocking and killing them with retaliate. Right. <laughs> yeah. I did a something similar that combined both both of your ideas with just the cap cap America protection where you get the retaliate from the shield and then defending's a thing, like you either have Indomitable or you're just ready by discarding a card, so it doesn't matter. And then with Heroic Strike and three tackles, you have like five stuns events in your deck, so you, you don't get to recur it like uh, Miss Marvel does, but I mean, you're cycling through that deck and uh, with five of them, like you're bound to draw one every fairly often um, that he is fairly stunned most of the time, and then a multiplayer you can either you he's either stunned or you're blocking for the other player right so ends up working pretty well and then cap also thwarts for like two or three depending on if you play fearless determination anyways so 
yeah, Cap's ridiculous. He's he's one that I think is definitely A tier. Um, no question in my mind. All right, so who's your favorite heroes? I guess I'll start, and this is a tough one for me. I kind of I kind of waffle a little bit right now. I I'm most excited for uh, Stephen Strange just because as a Marvel character, I like him a lot. I think he's kind of fun. I'm really interested to see what his deck does. But if I had to pick one character I'd play with, I I do like Captain Marvel quite a bit because she has the resources to pay for those expensive cards. And then she has built-in healing, which I I like recursion. <laughs> so Ms. Marvel is the other option, right? Because I like recursion as an option. But I, the built-in healing in her means I can have her in hero form and keep her there for like the entire game. So that's probably the one I would probably go to. But honestly, I like quite a few of them. She's not a... I'm not sure she's an A tier. I, I do think that other ones like Black Widow and and uh, Steve Rogers, Captain America, are definitely A tier. But I don't know. Yeah. I like the rehealing. Yeah, Spider-Man and, uh, and Iron Man, I'd put up there too. What about you, Terrence? Uh, for me, I would say... I mean, I'm just a big Spider-Man fan, so... I gotta go with Spider-Man for like especially when the game first came out. I played a ton of Spider-Man. I think I probably had like twenty plus plays of Spider-Man before I picked up like another hero. <laughs> I just thematically he's super great. I mean, webbed up at, at four costs is like pretty expensive, but basically two stuns or four is like insane in solo and like pretty oh, yeah. good in multiplayer. Like oh, I don't no, have to deal with ridiculous. his attack for two turns. That's awesome, right? <laughs> like his probably biggest weakness for sure is like thwarting. So like. I feel like in solo, Spider-Man Justice tends to be pretty popular combo just because the one Thord is pretty rough. And then Spider Tracers especially really relies on like minions. And so like if there aren't minions out there, like you're kind of really hurting for the ability to be able to do that. But I mean, Aunt May's great, like being able to flip and heal twice basically for one like flip to Alter Ego. Or like I don't even feel bad sometimes when uh, my obligation comes out and I get a flip. It's like, oh, flip i guess i get a four heal out of that right I'll flip that. <laughs> yeah well it's like that one iron man chess card right where he just gets to untap like that yeah. card is yeah. ridiculous because you know i'll thwart and thwart or thwart and then flip over and heal myself or thwart and attack or attack attack i mean typically not that because he has enough blasters too but uh well and his attacks like one right so yeah yeah well it feels like you're cheating when that comes out though <laughs> <laughs> yeah spider-man's great uh and he works basically and plays differently with every aspect like you're saying peter uh like in leadership it's super fun to basically get inspired black cat so you're basically getting like free two turn and then when you get ready black cat like you also feel great about it because it's like well she doesn't take any inconsequential damage or consequential damage like being able to just use her for attack a bunch is super awesome and you know like the web shooters are awesome for you know dealing with vision being able to boost him up because you get those wild resources so just like a really versatile hero and i think he's just great in multiplayer because of his ability to basically stay in hero form for so long like you just don't really need to flip um most of the times and so and then you also get like on the opening turn that like free resource which can really help you just like put down that you know, expensive card that maybe you need on that first turn. So just like a, a lot of, you know, great kind of great toolkit, probably not the most like interesting mechanically, but just like a really solid toolkit. And it's always nice to draw cards, I guess, when the villain attacks you to like get up 
be like, I do want to take this attack. Like, please give it to me kind of thing, um, which is <laughs> kind of fun. So yeah, that that's great. And then it's just so thematic when you can like use your genius to like build a web shooter, like on your alter ego side, which is right. awesome. So let me ask you guys though, do you think that that's a problem with the game design before we get into final thoughts here? Do you think that's a problem with the game design that you do want to stay on the hero side most of the time? I mean, we talked about how interesting the decision is, but not every character plays with that. Uh, I think the reason I've been having so much fun with Black Widow is she really is, you know, an Iron Man early, but after Iron Man's built up, you're never flipping back over. So, well, I mean, again, unless you really need to heal yourself. But I think most of the time you are really going to try to stay on your hero side as long as possible. So do you think they could, I mean, obviously they could play with it more in the future, but do you think they've done enough with that right now? I don't think it's that big of a problem. Like I think it's fun and interesting that the hero, like certain heroes have kind of different, I guess, like tendencies of like where they excel at. Like if every hero needs to flip every turn, I guess similar to like Widow or, I want to say even like She-Hulk like really wants to do that flip if she can just because you know you're you're you have a four card hand uh, in hero mode which really sucks so like you yeah. kind of do want to flip to get that six card hand and then you get the bonus like an alter ego that it does help you with your thwart um or like the enemy scheming and I, and I think the fact that heroes do play differently that way makes it interesting like sure there are heroes that. I think if every hero played similarly where you either never want to flip or you want to flip every turn, it would make the game significantly less interesting uh, sure. to me. No, I agree with that. I think it varies quite a bit on how much I flip just depends on what I build my deck to do. Like when I mentioned that Ms. Marvel deck, I set up specifically where I stayed in alter ego form for a little bit, just so I could build up the cards I need to pull off the combo. And the rest of the game I stayed in, in Ms. Marvel form uh, to, to to dish it out. And I would say uh, Ms. Marvel and Kamala Khan, you kind of want to flip her quite a bit because her personas are really designed around her being in alter ego form and Kamala Khan form. So while her deck wants to play that way, I played it differently. And I've had the opposite effect too, where like, yeah, I know I kind of want to stay in this form for Iron Man, but maybe I changed the deck a little bit so that I need to switch to heal and I found cards to like downtime uh, to be incredibly useful where, yeah, I switch over to alter ego form, but I get a real big boost in my ability to heal. So I don't have to reside in that form very long. So I don't know. I, I think it varies quite a bit based upon what you're trying to do with your deck. Uh, all right. So final th thought time, guys. I mean, it sounds like we're all liking it. I mean, <laughs> we're not hiding that fact too much that, uh, you know, we've all been playing it quite a bit. I think 115 plays says a lot about uh, how much you enjoy the game. So why don't we start with you, Terrence? Yeah, so my final thoughts for sure is that card play is king in the decision space. Like, there's no LCG like it. Uh, it was actually really hard. Uh, like, I, I think uh, Marvel Champions came out, and then I went back to play Arkham, and it, in some ways, felt really boring. Like, just because you're, like, top decking and it felt weird. It's like, what do you mean I don't get, like, six new cards? Like, I only get one card? What is this <laughs> crap, right? Uh, and then, like, even more than that, like, the three actions felt super limiting, right? Like, I can only play, I can only do three things? What do you mean? Like, I'm doing all the, like, especially if you, like, play Iron Man, right? It's like, oh, like, both my gauntlets go off. Like, I'm thwarting every side scheme. Like, uh, Iron Man and Wrecking Crew, Ariel, super awesome, by the way. Being able to take one off of every side scheme there. But yeah, I mean, it's just just like you feel really powerful and awesome. And so 
I think they really nailed that well. And there's no, there's like probably no other card game that I own that really kind of captures that kind of feel. And so, yes, like I think the kind of flavor text and narrative uh, is lacking in its current state uh, right now. Like, yeah, like the core set has a quote unquote campaign and, but it's like what, like five sentences max of like total flavor text that you get. And it just does not do enough to really tide you through like a really feels like you're really doing campaign there, at least for me. Like I even think in Lord of the Rings, like core set, they did more there in flavor text and stuff. So um, I'm definitely missing that part. I still read it every time, but not every time. I I read it too, but like, you know, at least compared to like Arkham and Lord of the Rings, like I do miss that flavor text uh, stuff and like really tying you in. And, and it does feel like you are just fighting a boss battle, especially once you like mix in the modular counter sets where it's like, why is Modoc hanging out with Rhino? Like, uh, like why are they together or something? Right. Or sure. I, I think it's great for gameplay, but definitely like the, it feels like just mishmash your like ultimate dream of like the matchup you want to do kind of thing, which is cool. But that like that and like kind of the sameness of, I, I want to see more kind of progression, uh, on the villain as they advance. And I think we'll get there, but as of now, that's probably like the biggest con for me. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm still, that still doesn't stop me from busting out like in the future. And I'm looking forward to Doctor Strange coming out and Hulk coming out. And then probably the most excited thing for for me this year out of all the things coming out is like the Rise of Red Skull box. Like I'm really interested to see like where they take that. A lot of things I think are kind of, they've promised on like, like it's our first campaign box. So like, I think there's a lot of expectations on like what that's going to mean. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to that, but we'll get into that in our design discussion. Steve, <laughs> what are your final thoughts here? So my thoughts on Marvel champions have changed a lot. If you asked me last year, it was neck and neck to being my game of the year. Potentially. I ultimately chose U- U-Boat over that. And looking back on, on that, I think that's the right decision. Like U-Boat is one that, I love, and I will. I always want to bring it to the table. It's really fun. Not saying Marvel Champions isn't fun, but it's fallen down from my excitement level a little bit. And I think it has a lot to do with how sometimes a game can feel, I don't know, stale a little bit. And that's just because you can pull back what the enemy does. You can undo what they're doing and get to a state where you're just, you know, you're you know, treading water. You're just floating around, and you're not being actively being pushed towards a conclusion like you are with... Uh, Doom Track, like an Arkham, or even doing the uh, the quests in in Lord of the Rings, and so that kind of brings it down a little bit for me. And the other thing is, I'm just so spoiled when it comes to these other LCGs where they've had years to come out. There's a ton of cards. I mean, Marvel's going to get there too, but I like the interesting combos and decks I can build in those games. And Marvel Champions is getting there, but it's not there yet. And so I'm still buying it. I still like it. I love the Marvel theme. I love the thematics integrations they're doing with these heroes. But it's kind of, I don't know, just a thing I like to get to. But if I'm going to pick an LCG, I'm probably going to pick one of the others. All right, and I'll get into it because my final thoughts have evolved quite a bit. Uh, I think even from the end of last year episode where I had ranked it, I don't know, it was three or four. Um, is there with Journeys of Middle-Earth and... Cthulhu Death May Die, which, by the way, when those are three and four, it's a pretty good year for me. <laughs> like, those are really good games. Journeys of Middle-Earth, too. Like, I've, I've really enjoyed all those. And, of course, just one, which I'm going to continually get made fun of. But that's all right. 
I don't think I'm wrong there still to this day. But anyway, you know, I've been up and down with this game. I really have. But the fact that Solo, you know, we talked about all the LCGs. This is the only one I think I would play Solo. I mean, maybe Lord of the Rings, but I mean, I'm just, I don't know what it is. I just, I don't get the system. I'm sure if I put the time and effort into get it, I would enjoy that one more, but I just haven't. And Arkham, I have almost no interest in playing solo. So I think it really is the solo aspect of this game for me that has made it great. Would I play it with three or four players? Probably not unless they were experienced. I really do think this game plays best at two players. Um, and obviously solo as well. I've enjoyed it a lot there. So, But I'm really enjoying it. it and my, my thoughts have gone up and down. It was really high when I first got it. And then I got bored with it pretty quickly again because stuff, you know, there just wasn't enough stuff there. And as I've gotten more villains, you know, the villain releases and and we'll get to this in a minute, too, in our design discussion. You know, the first one. Yeah, you're excited because you're supposed to get two goblins. But really, goblin one is stupid. Like, it just doesn't work. It's yeah. kind of broken. And goblin two is great, though. Right. And then the wrecking crew is good, but it still didn't do what I wanted it to as far as difficulty goes. And it takes out some stuff from the games. Like, you know, you don't have your, you don't have those kind of standard cards in there. So you don't have a chance of getting your like nemesis villain to come out. So there were some things I was disappointed with there as well. So I am really looking forward to rise of red skull right now, though. I think if I had a choice of which one to play, this is the one I'd pull out. Um, of all the LCGs. And I know that probably puts me on an island, but I'm also someone, there are two things, two innovations that this game has done that I really enjoy. One is the playing your whole hand out. I mean, that's probably the reason Keyforge is probably my favorite game of all time at this point. That playing your whole hand out and redrawing or playing as many cards as you can and redrawing, I think is genius. I think it's a genius innovation. I, I wish every game, every card game did that because the, you're not like playing one card trying to top deck as Terrence was talking about earlier, trying to top deck. You don't have to worry about extra resources in the game. They're right there on your cards. So I really like that play everything and draw everything up feel of the game. And the other thing is the character packs. I love that they come pre-assembled and ready to go. When I go buy Dr. Strange, I don't need to sit down for an hour before I can play with him. I don't need to integrate the mission cards in with a mission deck. I really like the way they're doing that. And I, I know we're I'm getting into the design discussion now, but bottom line is I like those innovations and I like what they do to the game. And so for me, they raise it to the next level. All right, well, let's get into the design discussion. I, I know we're, well, let's not take a lot of time here because we're already like an hour plus in. Just real quickly, like, what do you guys think of this new release model? I told you, I think it's, the way to go. And I think it's the wave of the future, but what do you guys think of how they're doing it with, you know, the individual releases? I definitely have mixed feelings on it. Like I'm generally very positive on it for all the reasons you said, Peter, right? Like it's, it's awesome to get, uh, I mean, even if I don't play the pre-constructed deck, it's still neat to have them put thought and have cards that are designed around a hero. Um, because I tend to still use probably a good amount of those cards anyways, uh, in the deck that I built, I probably just, have my own tweaks there um, from cards that they did not pick because they're probably generally trying to introduce new cards um, and I'll pull back cards from my existing card pool. And it's been great, like I said before, in my top five list of just like, unlike any other LCG, like the influx of new car- new player cards, like it has really made deck building ramp up significantly faster than any other LCG that I've owned, right? Like 
we're, we're less than a year in and like there's cards that I need to cut for my deck because there's a, so many good cards that I want to add now, which is not a thing I could have said in Lord of the Rings uh, in the first year, or even like Arkham, right? Like, I mean, maybe not totally true, but like it's definitely like a hard decision, probably Marvel in the time span it's been out versus all the other LCGs. Say what you want about FG's release schedule, uh, even pre-pandemic, but like, I still think they've done a fairly good job of releasing enough content on a fairly regular basis, which has not been true of um, some of their LCGs in the past, both competitive and cooperative. Like, it's been nice to get that amount of new content. Um, the downside for me is that, especially later on in the life cycle, I feel like the influx of new cards is not nearly as important as it is early on. So. One thing that's great about the kind of normal cycle release where you're tying player cards to the cycle is that you're getting a regular like kind of amount of like scenario content. And sure. that's a piece that I think I, I'm, I'm still missing a little bit now, but it it's also like, like, like even in Lord of the Rings, like even though, yes, they're one-off campaigns, it's still nice that like they're released in a way and designed in a way where if you play it from start to finish in a cycle, like there is a narrative... And you don't, you're not relying on like a campaign box to do that. Just like the normal releases kind of give you that kind of thematic tie-in. And I'm a little sad that we don't get that in Marvel. So like, it still would have been nice to have kind of the big box campaign, but also have like kind of a mini campaign out of the villain packs. And based on what we've seen from Wrecking Crew and Goblin, um, Green Goblin, like it seems like everything's going to be fairly one-off minus the campaign box. Um, so I'm a little disappointed or I don't know about disappointed, but like a little sad that that is not true. Well, but what you've seen though is, you know, to, to contrast that, you know, they, what is it? Every six months, they'll put out a new campaign for, you know, Arkham and Lord of the Rings, but then you need to get those individual packs to continue that one campaign story. So, right. I mean, for me, that's a negative, right? The here, I'm going to get everything at once. And if they keep to that six month release schedule, I think that's going to be plenty of content for you. Like, I don't know. I, I get annoyed when I can't finish my campaign because they haven't released everything for it yet. So, I mean, just as a, a contrarian view to that, I like that they're going to release everything in one box. Well, I mean, the, it, it's like, it's a significantly shorter campaign though, right? Like, like, like the epic journeys you get in like even the Lord of the Rings, like quote unquote campaign, it's like you get three in the box, which is what, and we get what, five in the campaign box in yep. Rise of Red Skull, right? Yeah, so you but, get three in the normal deluxe for Lord of the Rings, and then you get like another six. So you're talking about like a nine thing uh, span, which is like, again, it's not like a campaign campaign where you're like carrying like stuff like Arkham style or even like the Lord of the Rings saga stuff. But it, it's still nice. Like, yeah, it's like you're not heartbroken that like you don't have the next thing. Like there's like what, like maybe a quasi cliffhanger, but like it's still like a self-contained scenario that like it's fine to play it by itself. Like it's definitely not as bad as Arkham where you you feel like you really need to have the next thing. Um, but it's still nice that it like ties from beginning to end. And like, there is a story that like takes you from the beginning to like every other release. Um, sure. and, and I think not having that, I don't know, is probably not as good for me. But I think what's coming out with a campaign for rise of red skull is that it is going to have persistence in it. And so getting back to Peter's point about having all that, uh, falling your lap at one time is going to help because I can't tell you how many times I started like the Lord of the Rings saga and just restarted it because I got to a point and like, well, I don't have the rest of the boxes, so I guess I'll just play something else and I kind of forget about it and I come back like, well, where was I? Well, I guess I'll just start over. So I started over a number of times and never actually got through the thing because I didn't have the whole set. 
So having that in one box is going to help quite a bit. Well, that did take like many years because you're talking about like, what was it? One box a year for two boxes per book. So six years to release. Uh, I think that's on like a slightly different time scale there. <laughs> yeah, it is. But I'm just saying that having a campaign in one piece helps a lot, quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll agree kind of in the middle here. I wish that they had not put heroes in these in the rise of red skull box. Like I wish it would have just been an enemy box, an enemy campaign box. Now maybe they did it so people can buy this instead of a starter. Maybe that's the thought process, but I don't need new heroes in that. If you're releasing new hero packs every month, I would have rather had seven campaigns and seven enemies rather than the two heroes that they're putting in there. I do agree with Steve. So rise of red skull is going to come with five enemies two new heroes, and then upgrade cards. So as you go through the campaign, your heroes will upgrade as the story goes on. So I'm super excited, as we all are, about that release. But I do think you're right, where they could have gone seven missions deep and just left the heroes out. I don't think anybody needed that. You know, they've they put out enough heroes. We want to see more villains at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the other thing is, like, uh, it, it has just been, if it's, like, a campaign and, like, it's mostly heroes between one campaign and the next... I think it's just like a pretty large, I guess, differential between when you get like your next kind of big drip of like encounter content, uh, which is kind of the only downside to that model. Uh, I'll buy it either way. Uh, so not like a, <laughs> right. not a huge downside in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I think we're all going to feel better about it once this campaign box goes out, because I think we are tired of fighting the same villains over and over. I think one thing that's going to help, too, is when we get enough modularity in the sets where we can, you know, customize it, you can actually create your own scenarios, which would be pretty fun. And so that's something I do quite a bit in, in Marvel Legendary, which is a different game. That's just as a straight deck builder, as opposed to something you build a deck beforehand, where I'll watch a movie or a show and there's so much content for that where I can literally grab the heroes and the villains and there's normally a scheme that's pretty close to it and actually play through what I just watched or read or whatever happened. So I'm really excited for that, for that prospect to be in in Champions. Uh, I, we're not going to get there yet, but I'm hoping we'll get there eventually. And the other thing I want to mention about this release model is what I've been noticing when following all these Marvel games is happens with Marvel Legendary, happened with Marvel United, I see it happening with Champions too, is... When you have that Marvel IP, you always have these discussions on, hey, I want to see XYZ hero coming out. When is this hero coming out? Hey, what does this hero do? It's always about the heroes because there's so much content to pull from that intellectual property. And so you have these long discussions on, on what you want to see. So it's very hero focused. So having the releases follow this hero centric model, I think is very smart of them. I will not refute that. Uh, comment on it's a smart business decision for sure yeah i mean the the hero model makes a lot of sense and it's both been great i just wanted to highlight some of the downsides but i mean uh even to the testament of like one of the downsides of the cycle model is that uh sometimes it takes the whole like the cycles are designed like kind of together right so like you have to buy kind of all the packs uh, to kind of get the ultimate design that was intended for it and one of the nice things about the hero model is that you get the whole archetype in one pack, right? So like, you're not waiting, you, you don't get like a hero card, which has happened more than rings. Like, oh, you see this like Sylvan archetype, but then like, it's not until you get like five more packs that or like the rest of the cycle until you can finally build the deck that like they were like hoping you would build or like are kind of 
pushing you towards. Uh, the fact that it all comes together means that uh, you do get all those influx of cards all together, which makes it really nice. Um, but And the other nice thing is that the cards are pretty well designed in the sense, too, that uh, for every hero pack that's come out for me, I've also gone back and revisited old heroes that have already like that I've already played a bunch with, right? So it's like when Thor came out and the aggression pack, right? Like there's a bunch of aggression cards that made She-Hulk significantly better uh, than in aggression than before that pack came out. And so like each of this influx of like new aspect cards have made those aspects much more viable for like existing heroes in in new ways, um, like with Black Widow with Justice, right? Like it's really shaped up Justice with uh, new attack event cards. Quake really helps a lot with kind of the flipping to the alter ego and being able to do damage. And Justice historically has just been really weak on dishing out damage. And so like this set of new cards has really helped out with kind of making these aspects feel much more complete in a kind of first pass for first year of deck building. Yeah, it's interesting because I think that Lord of the Rings and Arkham to me are more mission focused. Like that's what you want. Like, especially Arkham. Like, I I almost don't care about my investigator as much as I care about what's the mystery I'm going through. And it feels like Lord of the Rings is a little bit similar, although they want you to build a character to kind of conform to that mission. But it's still somewhat mission-centric. Like, I've got to build my deck this way because of the mission. Whereas here, I feel like, at least to this point, it's mostly about the heroes. And, you know, making their decks cooler and seeing what you can do and then increasing the difficulty of the mission to kind of match the power level you've made your hero. And I don't know if it's just a perception thing or if that's reality, but I I kind of feel like they have, as Steve said, made it all about the heroes here. Yeah, I'm totally looking forward to some heroes coming out. Like, huge fan of X-Men. I can't wait for X-Men if they hopefully comes out. I don't know. We'll see. And some, I think there's some fun things you can do with other heroes, like Ant-Man. Like, it'd be really funny if his minimum deck size was smaller than the minimum 40, just to go along with his shrinking. I don't know. Some silly stuff. <laughs> I I'm really looking forward to some things in the future. Oh, I was just going to push back a little bit on Lord of the Rings that uh, oh, I feel like the, the characters are so iconic in the Tolkien universe as well that, like, I mean, that people are, are just as excited for... Uh, maybe not quite as much, but people are definitely, like... Oh, like I want to, I want Arwen or, you know, Aragorn or kind of like it is based off of the book. So it's like property that they're very familiar with. Um, and people are definitely really excited. And then you have the Tolkien nerds who are excited about some of the more esoteric characters as well. Like, why didn't we get so-and-so, right? So. Sure. But even in that game, when you think about the, the gameplay itself, you're not playing a hero in Lord of the Rings. You're playing a small fellowship. You're playing three heroes. Whereas Marvel Champions, you can't even keep your allies around. You are Iron Man, right? So I think that might be part of the difference too. And maybe that's why it it just feels different to me. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. But like, I guess when I hang out with people who play Lord of the Rings, like people talk about heroes in a very hero-centric way, similar to Lord of the Rings. It's like often, like, I guess like there are decks for sure. You talk about the Fellowship and like it matters what the other heroes are. But like, you know, like if you're building a like, Grimbiorn deck like Grimbiorn is the star of that deck and like everyone else is kind of a supporting character to like make Grimbiorn awesome right so I, I do think you probably more than you would think like it is also very much about very specific heroes in that game as well 
Sure. And, and I mean, I'm to be fair, you know, full transparency. I mean, obviously that is not my main game and I haven't played a lot of it. So uh, it's an outsider perspective. I, I will say that at least for the future of Marvel changing topics a little bit, um, the last AMA with uh, Michael Boggs was really exciting because he said that they've already have 20 packs designed or roadmapped already. So that's really exciting that there is that much content already planned. Uh, even before Rise of the Red Skull comes out. And uh, one of the things that's interesting, like that I had a complaint about was that, you know, a lot of the side game schemes aren't that common. Uh, the packs aren't particularly interesting. Like they tend to be more or less the same things. It's like either adds crisis acceleration, card acceleration, or like the the scheme acceleration, right? Like an extra card or a scheme acceleration. Sure. And those are the three effects. And I think in Mutagen Form, you, you're starting to see like some more interesting things there. By design, they've intentionally kept it for, I think, to get more people into the game and into the door of like trying to compete, keep the complexity level like fairly simple. And if this is what it is in year one and like it's going to get more interesting going forward, like I'm very excited for the future of this game. Yeah, and I think you have to do that, first of all, because of the, the license that you're dealing with, but also because, you know, the model they've gone with is clearly a more non-gamer centric you know anybody can get into it type model you know when they're putting out these hero packs where you just have to buy one and you can go join a game that's in progress right now you know come in bring your hero deck that you just bought and sit down and play like i mean i think everything they're doing for the game is to make it more accessible because you know the theme is a theme that everybody can get into you know superheroes are huge right now so i think they're releasing it in the right way for what it is i just can't wait for that roster to fill out so <laughs> i'm uh got my eyes peeled waiting to see what comes next all right well uh i think it's been a great discussion well thanks everyone for tuning in and thanks peter for joining yeah i'm glad to be on the podcast i listened long time listener first time caller <laughs> first time caller okay i don't think that's true but okay <laughs> and terrence it's been good good having you back on the show again yeah, always happy back. Uh, I seem to only come on for LCG discussions, so happy to keep that trend going. Well, I mean, when you play an LCG like hundreds of times, and <laughs> I think you play all of the co-op cooperative ones quite a bit, so a pretty good resource for that. <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us again, and we'll see you next week with another Top 5 list. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening and we'll see you all next week with another top five list. Hey, Steve. What's up? I want to be a superhero. But I thought you already were. What's your alter identity? Goose Boy. <laughs> Goose Boy. Gosh. Wait, is Goose Boy the alter ego or is that the hero? <laughs> it's both. I go around laying magic golden eggs that explode <laughs> when people touch them. Gosh. <laughs>